0: You're listening to the International Continent Society podcast. ICS is the leading international multidisciplinary organization for medical professionals working in the field of incontinence. ICS provides the latest scientific and clinical updates to professionals in the field.
1: like to uh, welcome everyone listening to this podcast, um, sponsored by the ICS, about the ICS consensus statement on bladder and bowel training document and its practical uses. My name is Tamara Dickinson. I'm the chair of the nursing committee of the ICS. Um, I've been a urodynamicist and continence nurse for the bulk of my career um, and am now working in um, a little bit different field of continents, working with um, post-radiotherapy uh, prostate cancer patients in symptom management, long-term surveillance, and survivorship. Um, today for this podcast, we have Jamie Thompson from Australia and Donna Bliss from the United States as our podcast guests. I'd like to ask each of you to tell us a little bit about your professional background um, and your activities that you've been involved with with the ICS. Janie, why don't you start?
0: Hi, Tamara and Donna. I'm really excited to be doing this podcast with both of you today. It's a great honor. I'm Janie Thompson. I'm a nurse continent specialist and manager of the National Continence Helpline, which is an Australian government-funded free and confidential advice and information telephone service manned by Continents Nurse Specialists. And previous to this, I was the manager of the Alfred Health Continent Service, a multidisciplinary public health continent service covering a large metropolitan area in southeast Melbourne in Victoria. That's a free service available to people generally in that local area. And I am a member of the ICS Nursing Committee. Thank you.
2: And Donna? Well, hello, Tamara, Janie, and everyone listening. Thank you very much um, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. And like Janie, I'm very happy um, to be able to do this. I am a professor at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My research program has focused on numerous aspects of improving fecal incontinence and associated quality of life. I have been active in ICS for many years, probably over 15 years. I've served on the education committee and chaired the nursing committee and also chaired the ICS, ICI committee, that conducts the systematic reviews on assessment and conservative management of fecal incontinence. I chaired that committee um, this past year and for the last couple of reviews. I'm currently a member of the ICS standardization terminology committee and a member of a couple of ICS uh, project working groups. Great.
1: this document that we're going to discuss today um, was published in Neurology and Neurodynamics, Volume 30, 39 in um, 2020, if anyone wants to take a, a more in-depth look at the um, document. The goal of today's podcast is to kind of give you guys some um, practical uses for, for this document. Um, the ICS, just for some background I'd like to explain some of the procedures for, um, or steps for obtaining approval for um, special ICS projects such as this document. Um, This is a consensus statement, and the um, ICS um, is really fortunate to have so many productive uh, members from so many different disciplines um, that uh, generate ideas at every turn. In order to best serve the the society and to not duplicate efforts within the organization, the ICS has procedures in place to facilitate sort of centralized coordination of uh, committee uh, educational and academic work. So please, if you are interested in pursuing something like this, be sure that you uh, access the website to access the most recent um, approved uh, documents to follow uh, the steps to towards hopefully creating your own um, work uh, that the ICS can sponsor. So, Donna, what was the the reason for s- the start of this consensus project on bowel and bladder training for managing urgency?
2: Well, the ICS nursing committee members recognize that nurses are managing bladder and bowel urgency in practice. And yet there was very little evidence from studies in the literature supporting their practice in guiding this important intervention. Therefore, the committee decided to develop a consensus document about this therapy, tapping into the expertise of experienced continence nurses who were members of the ICS, as well as whatever published evidence that was available? This document can serve as a guide for nurses who want to use this intervention, especially those who may be less experienced with managing bladder and batter urgency. So, can you summarize
1: the process that you went through in developing this consensus document
2: um, and who were the the chairs and who participated in this work. So Dr. Jo Booth and I were co-chairs of the project and Jo is now retired from her professional life and we wish her the best. And the ICS Nursing Committee was the overseeing group. There were 22 other nurse members of the ICS who participated on the consultation group for consensus. We did not know who they were at the time because the process was anonymous, but um, I would like to recognize them now by um, reading their names Allison Bardsley, Nikki Cutterill, Joanne Dean, Verly Decaf, Yu Tamara, Sandra Emberg, Sharon Eustace, Veronica Genk, Veronica Hager, Amy Hunter, Lisa Krabenhoft, Juan May Liao, Catherine Moore, Joan Ostakevich, Angie Rantel, Joanne Robinson, Allison Sweeney, Eugenie, Susan Varr, Mary Wild, and Debbie Yard. And we greatly appreciate everyone's contributions. And one of the first things we did was to conduct a rapid review of the published research evidence, expert opinion articles, policy statements, and information from professional nursing groups. The information used was gathered from a broad range of sources, and then we extracted information, key information, and formulated them into statements that were then used to develop um, the document. We then, mo- that we then used a modified Delphi process online, and as I mentioned earlier, we worked anonymously. The consultation reviewed the statements developed by mail, suggested changes to the ICS office staff who collected them and made them anonymous. The project working group incorporated any suggested changes into the document which was then returned to the consultation group by the ICS staff. So that's how we uh, maintain anonymity. The ICS staff was sort of the in-between person from the consultation group reviewers and those of us who were um, summarizing that information. So the group who was doing the review emailed whether they agreed or disagreed with the statements and then suggested any changes. Again, that went back to the office staff and over to the consultation group. And it took um, a total of three reviews in addition to the initial review to reach consensus. The statements um, or their revised changes were accepted when consensus among all the reviewers was reached, which was defined as 80% agreement by the members of the consultation group. Great. Um, how is? Can you sort of describe
1: how the document um, is organized for us?
2: We discuss how to organize the statements and the overall document. So that's a good question. Um, based on the information we identified, we determined that the nursing process, with its steps of assessment, planning, intervention, and evaluation, offered. An optimal organizational approach. So the document has three sections which are organized into columns and section one contains the statements describing the procedures of the bowel and bladder training that are organized by the steps of the nursing process. Section two or column two has the supporting evidence that we found from the literature um, for the statements recognizing the different levels and types of evidence, ranging from expert opinion to research-based. And section three shows what should be demonstrated in practice for each step. Um, So as an example, as part of assessment, the clinician should conduct an assessment of the person's bowel symptoms. The practice outcome that would be expected would be that the patient would complete a bowel diary for seven days that would provide information to the clinician to use in formulating a plan. Um, As a second example, under the planning step of the nursing process, the patient's goals for bowel training would be identified. That might be, say, a reduction in the frequency Of their bowel movements or a more controlled response to urgency without anxiety. And the demonstration in practice for that would be that the bowel training plan would address these patients' goals. Thank you so much, Donna. Janie, would you briefly explain the purpose
1: and the steps of bladder training for managing urgency, um, urinary urgency, and overactive bladder? Um, according to the document, I know you use this on a regular basis.
0: Yes, Tamara. Um, first of all, I'm just going to explain. I'm using the word patient, and when I use patient, I mean obviously client, care care recipient, participant, consumer, or whatever word you use um, to describe someone who you're 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 providing care to. Um, and I must also preface that overactive bladder which is sort of often used with bladder one of the conditions why we use bladder training in my clinical practice was often the most common condition i dealt with and again generally the the clients i saw or the patients i saw were older patients or patients living with a disability so it's a bit of a bit of a passion of mine um bladder training so Regarding this document, the purpose of bladder training, according to the document, is to restore normal voiding pattern by progressively lengthening the intervals between voids by suppressing the urge to void. So the steps to bladder training including include establishing the patient's goals, which I think is one of the most important things to do is to determine what they want to achieve to then work towards that goal with them, and then reviewing their bladder or voiding diary. The patient is then encouraged to void at regular intervals throughout the day. This can be based on either a predetermined voiding schedule, such as hourly, or individualised voiding schedule based on their average voiding interval. So that might be determined that on average they void every um, one and a half hours. If they need to avoid sooner than this, they need to try to suppress the urge to avoid by using urge suppression or deferment techniques such as distraction and relaxation. Once their urge sensation settles, and that usually happens within a couple of minutes, they then can walk at their normal pace to the toilet if they still need to avoid or pass urine. By deferring or just suppressing the urge to void, the patient may be able to increase their functional capacity of their bladder, so how much we, their bladder can hold, or urine, and this can then lead to decreased urinary frequency, or how often they need to go to the toilet, and, urine, and decreased urinary urgency, or how quickly they need to go to the toilet. So urgency suppression or deferment techniques can help a patient increase their bladder control by taking attention away from their urgency sensation with using other activities. And the relaxation aspect of it can help decrease the anxiety or fear associated with the urgency. These uh, um, techniques can aid to choose a muscle relaxation as well as cortical bladder control inhibition. So they help relax the bladder and also help you control when you need to go to the toilet. So urgent suppression or deferment techniques can include rapid contractions of the uh, pelvic floor muscles, distraction, such as counting backwards, and I often ask a person, you know, what they would use as a distraction from something, relaxation, such as deep breathing, again, what do they do when they want to relax, what sort of techniques do they use, uh, self-affirming statements, such as I'm in control of my bladder or something, again, that they would use that would make sense to them perineal pressure, such as sitting on the edge of a hard surface, curling their toes and pressing on their heels. So the bladder training program should be based on the patient's goals. And often they initially work work on the urgency suppression techniques in my practice before then working on increasing the voiding intervals. So they need to gain that confidence that they can bring that urge down and then they can aim to try and increase the intervals between voids. Um, so bl- bladder training is usually only attempted during waking hours, although you can use urge suppression techniques at any time. So, for example, at night, they might want to bring the urge down to get help them get to the toilet successfully, but they're generally not going to sit and wait for, to increase their voiding interval because you want to, them to get a good night's sleep. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Janie. Um, Donna, how do the steps of bowel training for managing defecation urgency compare to what Janie reviewed?
2: say the overall steps are parallel and similar. So the purpose for bowel training is often to overcome anxiety or even a panic response and subsequent lack of control when the urge to defecate occurs and the individual wants to have a more controlled bowel movement. However, for those with um, high frequency and elimination of small amounts, achieving a more regular elimination patterns at intervals um, that are more normal for them or predictable um, with elimination of their full rectal contents would be a similar goal as to what Janie described for bladder training. But since defecation occurs less frequently than urination, you know, these times um, of predictability and control might be like after a meal and before bed or once a day, if that would be um, possible to achieve. Great. Janie, what are the the
1: indications for implementing bladder training? How might nurses use these um, guidelines in their clinical practices and how have you implemented these in
0: your clinical practice so a patient needs to be assessed by a relevant healthcare professional to determine if they have urgency incontinence or an overactive bladder and this should involve a detailed continence assessment that includes reviewing a patient's voiding diary looking at their bladder symptoms looking at their medical and surgical and obstetric history reviewing their medications Establishing their post void residual volume, looking at lifestyle factors, risk factors, and quality of life. So, what a typical continence, detailed continence assessment would entail. Not every patient with urgency, incontinence, or an overactive bladder will be suited to undertake or be able to undertake bladder training. The patient needs to be able to independently get to the toilet or get there with assistance. They need to have the cognitive ability to undertake. Bladder training, that is, they need to recognize that urgency sensation and be able to use the urge suppression techniques and preferably be able to do, able to do contractions of the pelvic floor muscle. But often this can be a bit of work in progress that maybe at the moment they can't, but with time they can engage their pelvic floor. They need to be motivated to undertake the bladder training and it does require a commitment to the process and they need to sort of be engaged to, 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 to do this. They also need to be realistic about what, their, what the bladder training can achieve, that it is, it might be more challenging with someone with very severe overactive bladder with a very small bladder capacity. A nurse might use these guidelines in their practice to ensure they have a structured approach to bladder training that is based on current evidence and expert knowledge. And these guidelines are very practical to use and they have a very clear process and I really like the way they're set out. I've used these guidelines with the nurse continent specialists on the National Continence Headline by discussing them as a group and also discussing our individual approaches to bladder training, particularly the deferment techniques we suggest, because I can have found there's quite a lot of variability in what people suggest in this regard. But the guidelines really helps us as a a team to be more consistent in the information we Provide to the callers to the National Continence Helpline, and hence I've found them extremely useful. And often refer my team to, "Hey, have a have another look at this document, and just really refresh your knowledge on bladder training." Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's probably you know something that that can be used at any level as a good uh, refresher. Um, Donna, what are the implications um, or ind- sorry indications for implementing?
2: Um, bowel urgency, are they similar? You know, we we really weren't sure how these two um, interventions would line up or the steps of the interventions line up when we started. But I think the beauty of having this structured process is very helpful because we realized that, you know, the indications and approach um, that are taken by the nurse, were similar for bowel training um, as they were for bladder training as Janie described. And those indications um, would be urgency to defecate that is more desired or manageable um, for the patient or um, urgency that causes anxiety and fear and subsequent um, urgency associated with frequent trips to the toilet and small elimination of feces. And the idea of um, assessment planning and evaluation of patient outcomes and the patient's characteristics and motivation that Janie described for bladder training are very similar and also optimal for bowel training. So um, if you do access the document that was published, you will see them side by side and also recognize that um, it's very helpful if you have a patient who might have dual incontinence with, you know, a combination of these problems. I think that would also be very helpful.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's important for us to remember that um, most of the time there's there's some a dysfunction of uh, both bowel and bladder uh, in, in many of these patients. Janie, how do you individualise the, the training program to suit the
0: individuals? I think the individualisation is really important to bladder training. So you really need to know your patient's usual voiding pattern, plus their goals for their management plan are, are an important start. Once you've established that they have bladder dysfunction, such as um, urgency incontinence or an overactive bladder. Also, I like to know their usual activities and their lifestyle. So it's important to see how this can, blood training can be incorporated in these activities. Say if they like to go to the theatre a lot, how can how can you get through a, a, a movie? What can you do in the picture theatre, for example? Urge suppression techniques need to be individualised to what the patient is confident and, and comfortable doing. And I often start them practising their urgency suppression um, techniques, particularly in a safe place without increasing their voiding interval. So I sort of say, when you're at home, I want you to challenge yourself to not go to the toilet as soon as you feel like you need to rush and just see if you can bring that urge down because the risk of an accident is possibly more manageable in that environment. Although generally I find when someone's at home, they go to the toilet more often than when they're out and distracted. So it is sort of an interesting place to actually start bladder training because there's often a worse place than when they're out socially. Once they've established that confidence in being able to bring down that urge, I gradually work on them increasing their voiding interval. And again, this is based on what are their goals and what are the development of skills they have to, to urge suppression and deferment techniques. So again, it's very individualized. I really like to know the person, what their life is like, what they, what are they hoping to achieve? You know what techniques work for them. What what resonates with them, and what they can actually achieve. Like how good is their pelvic floor at the time, and how can we work on that to also use that as part of their um, urge suppression um, skill set? Thanks.
1: Yeah, I think it's very important that you know. So often um, we have goals, but they're not the patient's goals, and the inclusion of the patient's goals is so very important. Um, Donna, is it similar for bowel training as well?
2: Yes. Um, It is important to understand that patients' bowel patterns and their responses to their urgency are influenced by several factors, such as lifestyle factors, such as their diet and their activity, as well as their history of incontinence episodes and their accidents, which are very individualized experiences. So the bowel training program in this document addresses these various comprehensive factors to consider and guides um, the nurse to um, be comprehensive on their assessment and in developing their intervention plan. Um, So developing an effective plan requires a good assessment of those individual factors and really a good relationship and communication with the patient and consideration of what their goals are, as you said, and which ones they would like to achieve, maybe early on and maybe later on, like what are their priorities? And because the training takes time and you want to have the patients buy in throughout it's really important to be responsive to what they consider as their priorities. And having successes um, that are important to them will increase their confidence um, and they will feel good about um, what is happening, which will encourage them to continue and keep on with the training program.
1: Yeah, I think you make a good point that we, um, as nurses, can take cues from our physiotherapy colleagues that, you know, short-term and long-term goals may be different and they can create uh, different levels of achievement and success for the patients. Janie, other than nurses, um, are
0: the guidelines relevant for other clinicians to follow? Yes, they're extremely relevant. So any clinician who works in the continence field or is able to assess a patient to determine if they have urgency or overactive bladder and preferably be able to teach the patient pelvic floor exercises should be able to use these guidelines. I do see a lot of people who are put on medication for an overactive bladder without ever considering bladder training. And we know there isn't a great um, long-term use of a lot of the overactive bladder medications. and it's. And I would like them to have started with bladder retraining or or do that with the medication. So it would be really good if clinicians who are prescribing or dealing with people with an overactive bladder or urgency incontinence actually start them off or direct them towards someone who can support them with bladder training. These guidelines are particularly very practical, practical and easy to follow. So I think they're fabulous. Thank you.
1: Donna, what were some of the challenges that this task force encountered in producing this document?
2: Oh, thank you for asking that, Tamara. You know, working on this document sort of reminds me of how a patient is working on their bladder and bowel training. You know, they make forward progress and then there might be some, you know, delays or setbacks uh, in the process. Um, One of the um, biggest challenges was that we were working during the COVID-19 pandemic um, that slowed um, you know, the group's availability and responsiveness, and we really appreciate um, their um, commitment and dedication to completing it. Um, a second was that um, conducting an anonymous consensus procedure remotely and online is an intensive procedure. And we greatly um, appreciate this appreciated the support from the ICS staff. Um, and also, you know, i like to thank Joe for her assistance in this. And thirdly, um, some people, you know, in the consultation group, really, I don't think like the structure of a Delphi process. Um, and the Delphi process is a structured process for a re- reason. And they wanted to write all sorts of comments and explanations Um to sort of support, you know, what they were suggesting. And, you know, we did read all of those comments, but we did really try to stay true to our process. Um, It's a very, I think, effective and powerful process because one person doesn't um, really override the opinion of others um, and other people aren't Um, sort of intimidated maybe by reputations of the other people so people really can um, speak from their um, experience and knowledge and expert opinion and then we consider all of those and um, put it out for a vote and the majority in this case in this process um, did have the final say in um, reaching that 80 percent consensus so we were really pleased with it even though it probably took a little longer than we originally planned because of the interruption um, by the pandemic. So as soon as we were able to finish, um, we, we did submit it um, for a publication and we're very happy for its um, quick uptake and be able to disseminate that to um, ICS members and anyone else who might be interested. And as Janie said, I think it's a great document and um, hopefully, it will be um, useful to those who are using it.
0: Great. Right. Janie, what do you think um, is one of the most important contributions of this document? Um, other than the fact that the document is based on evidence and expert consensus, I think one of the most important contributions is the two tables within it that clearly explain how to undertake bladder and bowel training. And then this is further reinforced uh, forced in the appendices that gives further depth to these tables, including the evidence that these these tables are based on. And so they're really useful, very clear, very easy to follow. And I think, you know, any clinician working in the field should have that close by to really reinforce what bladder and bowel training should entail. I think they're amazing. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think the evidence base and the expert opinion is so important for um, a lot of uh, reinforcement of interventions that we as nurses, um, you know, implement that uh, doesn't um, necessarily get uh, into the, the printed word in a consensus document like this. So, um, lastly, Donna, how might this consensus document encourage further research on these topics?
2: Ultimately, um, we hope the document will stimulate research to provide evidence for the various steps and its content. The supporting evidence section shows where research is needed and really any part of the procedure can be tested for its effectiveness. So we hope that as clinicians use the document and its procedures, they will not only develop, you know, practical information to support their own practice, But maybe it will help them identify questions for research and quality improvement on their, you know, for themselves, and then to test them and then hopefully share that in the literature as well. So that if there's an update in the document in a few years, we'll be able to cite um, some studies that might look at parts of this or provide additional evidence for it. And you know, as evidence, as knowledge is obtained and achieved. Every procedure and every guideline can be updated. So we really see this as a, you know, sort of a baseline start. We needed to sort of pull our resources and our expertise together as a starting point. And really we hope over the years that it will be refined and, and maybe there will be other recommendations and improved as people are using it and developing, um, new evidence based knowledge. Thank you so much, um, Donna
1: and Janie, for being involved with this um, podcast. This, what, The goal of this podcast was to be able to provide insight into this important nursing document, this consensus statement on bladder and bowel training, and to give um, expert advice on how um, people can take this and implement it to um, direct patient care. So um, I appreciate this very much and have really enjoyed um, having this conversation with uh, both of you.
2: Well, you're welcome, Tamara, and thank you um, for organizing this. Um, I think it will be a, a great supplement to the
0: document in print. Yes, I agree. It's um, lovely having a chat today and really um, talking about it. It's something close to my heart. Bladder training and bowel training. And thank you both. Thank you. Goodbye. International Continent Society podcast. Find out more about the leading organization in multidisciplinary continents research and education at ics.org.